Craft Beer Radio presents the Meeting of the Malts 3. On Thursday, January 22nd, the Brewers of Pennsylvania Trade Association had the Meeting of the Malts 3 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the Priory. There was a panel discussion with Bill Kovaleski from Victory Brewing Company, Chris Trogner from Trogues Brewing Company, and Scott Smith from East End Brewing Company. The moderator is Bob Batts Jr. from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. This podcast is a recording of that panel discussion. Welcome to the meeting of the malts, everyone. I can't really believe I'm at a beer event looking out at you. It's like, uh, it's too fancy almost. You guys, you guys look really good out there. It's beautiful in here. Meeting of the Malts is a fundraising event for the Brewers of Pennsylvania, so they're co-hosting us tonight. This is a fundraiser for them, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for us. I am your moderator, Bob Batts, Jr. uh, My job is the food editor of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette daily newspaper and website. I've been doing that for about eight years now. I'm proud to be the uh, vice president of the Association of Food Journalists, uh, the paper's really into food coverage, drinks coverage. We do really well at it. But the, the beat that I've been doing since about 19, early 1990s has been covering beer and craft beer because somebody has to do that, and so I've just decided to stick with it. And, and, and no one's been able to sort of grasp it from me yet. I've known some of the guys that you've actually come to hear and see for a long time, especially Scott Smith in Pittsburgh, who I've known since he was a craft beer toddler, I think I could say. Um, so we're going to get right to it. The, the format tonight is we're going to talk for a little bit, we're all going to eat and drink a little bit, and then we're going to talk a little bit. Um, I'm going to try to talk the least. We have a lot of questions that came in from beer fans all over Pittsburgh and beyond on social media. Um, some really good questions. Uh, one of the better ones came in from Jeff Bearer at Craft Beer Radio, uh, the podcast, who wanted to thought that the hottest question to ask these guys when they were all sitting at one table is, when are your pumpkin beers going to be ready for this year? <laughs> so, later. yeah. So we'll get back to that one later. Um, I'm standing here because Jeff is actually recording tonight's panel talk for an episode of Craft beer radio that will be available tomorrow online at craftbeerradio.com so if this gets really good and the beers get as good as they look you can go back and listen to what we actually said tomorrow so without further ado I'm just gonna I'd like the each of our three esteemed panelists to uh, give you guys a very brief overview of who they are who their breweries are that kind of thing and then we'll we'll go from there guys Scott, you want to start? All right. Is this on? It is on. Hey, I'm Scott from East End Brewing. How are you guys doing tonight? Um, If you've you've not heard of East End Brewing, we've uh, just celebrated our 10th year of operations, so uh, we are officially uh, no longer a toddler. Um, And we just opened our brew pub uh, a couple of months ago, so... um, And, of course, we have our growler shop in the Strip District, so... Um, I think that's probably enough plugging. Uh, I'm going to take my hat off. I want to get the introduction out of the way, but I wanted to make sure I didn't take the hat off first so no one would recognize me if I had the, had the hat on. So anyway, um, that's it. I'll, on, on, on that egg I've laid, I'll pass the, pass the mic. 
Thanks, Scott. Hi, uh, Chris Trogner with uh, Trogues Brewing Company. We've been open. My, uh, my brother John and I started the brewery in 97 in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We're, we're born and raised in central Pennsylvania. And uh, recently <laughs> relocated our brewery to Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is where we are today. And um, we sell trogues primarily throughout the mid-Atlantic region, so we, we try to keep things as close to home. And um, we have about 180 people that work with us at the brewery. Good evening. I'm Bill Kovaleski with Victory Brewing Company. Uh, our brewery is the furthest one from here. We're way on the other side of the state, more or less, uh, located directly between Philadelphia and Lancaster in Downingtown, PA, and now with the second brewery in uh, Parksburg, Pennsylvania. So we're, we're deeply invested. Ron and I haven't been uh, born here in Pennsylvania. I nearly said brewed here in Pennsylvania. That was a, a, a Freudian slip of sorts. Um, we've been open since 1996. And uh, so, you know, you've got a sort of a veteran class here in front of you this evening to uh, share our, our wit and wisdom with you. So I hope you pick our brains. Um, since I'm the last guy on the roster, I, uh, the last guy on the roster and the first guy with a beer up, I'd like to uh, propose a toast to our sponsors this evening, uh, including PFE Fire and Security Services, our great friends at Vicini's Distributing in Millvale, and of course, our great friends at North Coast uh, Brewing as well. So. Thank you all for being here, and thank you for supporting this wonderful Cheers. event. Cheers. Well, thanks, Bill. I, we should probably get a soft start. We're all just sort of getting comfortable, and I just thought I would st a little softball question to get things rolling. Who of you makes the best beer? <laughs> no. All right, we'll, we'll do that. We'll come back to that one later. Um, no, we were talking a little bit before, and um, this is the meeting of the malts in Pittsburgh. Brewers of PA have done a couple of these events before in the eastern part of the state. There's another one coming up in April, if you're interested in traveling out, out that way for one. But we're in Pittsburgh. Um, Scott's the, the local brewer here. We were talking about Pittsburgh as a beer market. And Bill, you had some thoughts about, you know, maybe a little bit of what kind of beer market this is. Um, and, we were, and all of you do. I thought I'd start with you. You're, you're coming in, you sell a lot of beer here even though you don't brew it here. What kind of beer market is, what kind of craft beer market is Pittsburgh? Uh, Pittsburgh is a thirsty beer market. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. The diversity of beers that are appreciated in this market is, is notable to begin with because, you know, Pennsylvania has been supportive of lager beers for a very, very long time to, be, you know, to begin with. Um, and that's really refreshing because it opens up a whole range of things that we as brewers can do. Uh, the other thing that I definitely have noticed, um, and I can illustrate it with numbers, is that uh, Pittsburgh is very much a, uh, a hop-forward town. Um, really big, hoppy beers are appreciated here. And I often like to say that, you know, uh, bitter beers are for happy people. So I guess, you know, I guess you guys are happy. Um, but, uh, you know, for instance, this year, We've seen our Golden Monkey, Belgian Triple, eclipse our Hop Devil sales nationally, but here in Pittsburgh, that's not the case. Hop Devil is still the flagship, so a um, little illustration of, of how things work here from our perspective. How about you, Chris? Well, it, it's interesting to hear Bill say that. Um, we, we have a pretty diverse portfolio, we think, the different <coughs> styles that we're brewing, but we're kind of flip-flop. Our number one has always been Troganator, and, uh, which is a malt-forward yeah. beer. You know, lager yeast, um, nice, 
caramel malt, and um, we're, we're always surprised when the orders keep coming in for Vicini how much Troganator Pittsburgh keeps going through. Now, we, we do have a, a new beer that we're going to try tonight, or newer for us, Perpetual IPA, that's, you know, quickly grabbing it, but um, it's definitely been a, a, malt, a malt forward market for us, so sounds like that's kind of our division. Yeah. Well, and Scott, you're right here. What, what would you say? How would you speak to this? Well, if I said it was a big hoppy market, I'd uh, probably be tipping my hand. But definitely hoppy beers are uh, uh, big hop is probably 40% uh, of what we brew. And we did maybe uh, 30, 35 beers last year. Um, so granted, that was the flagship. That was the one we started with. Um, it's got a name that people know around town. So um, but every time we, we bring out something else that's hoppy, Petal Pale Ale, or uh, we did a batch of a beer called Green Giant this year that uh, flew out of the taps. Um, I think we even we ran a little bit of it around town. But, um, um, yeah, it's definitely, I would say, a hop-hungry hop market from, uh, from the way I'm looking at things from our, from our view. So I'm the odd one. Yeah, I'm the odd one. Well, no, and it, but to take... To take Bill's point, and especially if you think about this with any perspective of 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, the, the amount, the diversity of beer that you can get anywhere in this town, if, if you actually stop to think about it, sometimes it does boggle your mind. There's a, there's a lot of things that we're, that we're hearing about more and seeing you guys are doing, barrel aging, sours. Um, as a food editor, it's, it's almost a must at the end of a year in the beginning of a new year to talk about trends so is there any tr is there any trends or micro trends that you guys see coming or doing in this coming year or 2016 anything that that you really see as uh, something we might be drinking in, down the road I don't know if I'd speak for any specific style but I think what we are seeing at least you know in our local market is is kind of a reflection back to what's being grown locally, you know, and you're seeing that, of course, with, you know, restaurants trying to support as many local farms as you can. And I think you're starting to see more and more breweries do that, no, not only with um, traditional beer ingredients, you know, whether it's barley or hops, but also, you know, being experimental as brewers or curious as brewers and trying to work with your local growers, you know, whether it's fruits, spices, pumpkins, you know, whatever it may be. And I think, you know, that's, that's why a lot of us kind of started. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see that uh, get pushed further and further. At least we hope so, you know, because that's what kind of keeps our creative juices going. Well, and that's also um, brewers walking the talk. Uh, if we're looking for people to drink local beer and we're using local ingredients, it reinforces that. Uh, rarely do we see a, a, a new bar open up that says, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to put in a 16-tap a, a system that's all... Um, uh, beers out of St. Louis. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a laughable prospect because everybody's, everybody's going to be plugging into something local and then offer a rotating selection of those that are outside. Uh, a great example of that is the Independent in Squirrel Hill, which uh, I think their criteria is uh, within 100 miles. Um, um, so uh, locals uh, are becoming a favorite flavor. Bill? Yeah, both Chris and Scott definitely struck upon something that's been integral to the success of craft beer, and that is local connection. And we as brewers, you know, uh, epitomize that and try and leverage it um, and, and, and work it to the greatest extent possible so that we, we, we emanate that support as well. I think that in terms of taking care of your local community, another thing that is often overlooked is um, 
the strength of beers. We, we've all enjoyed some really big, powerful beers in our lives and, and will continue to do so, but um, all of our breweries also endeavor to put a whole lot of flavor into uh, lower ABV beers as well. Um, so taking care of one another and making sure everyone has a good time and gets home safely is yet another element of you know, really being attached to your community and making it work out well for everyone. I was struck by the number of people when we asked for questions who, who asked sort of a technical kind of a brewer business question, but this seemed like a good chance to bring that up. Um, a lot of people ask, and, and this is germane to local, you know, going forward, um, going into this year, going into next year, how concerned, if that's the right word, are any of you guys about being able to get grains that you need, the hops that you need, and how does that, how does that tie into being local at all? Actually, I, we've actually, uh, for the first time, in, to my knowledge, we've got a, uh, uh, a malt producer in the state of Pennsylvania mm -hmm. that's uh, uh, growing and malting barley that, that people in the other end of the state are, uh, are making beer out of. Um, that's fantastic. I've always said that we're buying local ingredients when we can, but we don't really have amber waves of grain in East Liberty to, to, to draw from, to, to put into the mash. Um, but it's happening in the state, so um, the, the movement is there. Um, and I know the, the, the local distilleries are, are drawn on Pennsylvania products too. So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be a new world on the ingredient front. Yeah, the thing that I might add to that, Bob, is um, I definitely side with Scott. The, the concept of helping local agronomy and agriculture grow is, is near and dear to our hearts because if we can grow it locally, then we've got better um, freshness and better control of the final product. Uh, that being said, that you know, agriculture um, doesn't necessarily, agriculture doesn't like a surplus. So there is not a whole lot of spare hops and a lot of spare barley lying around. And with breweries opening um, on a daily basis, um, it actually does put pressures, and unfortunately it puts the pressures squarely on the newest guys, uh, because they're like sort of the last ones coming in the door. So um, I think it can be challenging for new breweries to get access to all of the, the wide range of, of barleys and hops that they're looking for. And if we can work together in order to get some uh, more responsive local growth going on, that could be good for everyone. Yeah, yeah it, it's tricky too from a brewer's standpoint because the, I mean, the, the ingredients are really what drives our, our beer, the taste of the beer. And you know, if you, if you design a beer around a certain ingredient and can't get it, you're kind of screwed. And we, we, Especially if you name the beer after that ingredient uh, and you have a right. shortage. You're, yeah, I've None of us have ever made that mistake. Never, never made that mistake. Well, so, not today. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's hard for us sometimes to guess how well a new beer is going to be received. So trying to, you know, we contract our ingredients out. You look at one to three years, but trying to look at that crystal ball and know that X beer is going to equal this much is, you know, it can be challenging, but that's, that's part of the dynamic of the business too. Is Wait, there, you have a crystal ball? <laughs> Under here. Short of a crystal ball, is there, is there, you know, we, we, most of us have lived through some of the great hop shortages of aught, whatever it was. Yeah. Is there anything near term that looks problematic for, the, for next year? Barley. Barley? Barley, yeah. Yeah, barley's a problem ingredient at the, at the moment, but um, it wasn't a great European harvest. Artie, do you want to keep going a little bit, or are we ready to do some eating? Or 
Okay, well, we're going to take a, a, an eating and drinking break, which is a nice thing. So please enjoy <laughs> your beer enjoy. and your food, and we'll be back. Okay, everyone, you are. we're going to do a little more talking. You guys can keep drinking and eating if you wish. But if you could do it a little quieter, that would be good. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully you're following along with your menu. We just um, worked our way through course one and course two. I thought it might be nice to hear from the brewers of those respective beers, and they could talk a little bit about the beers that you guys are drinking. We, we lost them already. They're already gone. Too much beer. All right. Too much beer we'll see you guys soon. later tonight. Thanks a lot. Thanks Have for a good coming. Night. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go back to we'll go back to course one. Chris is going to talk a little bit about his beer, and then Scott's going to talk about his beer served with course number two. So with course one, we had uh, uh, Jovial, which is a fairly new beer that we're brewing at the brewery. It's uh, very much inspired as uh, from a Belgian-style abbey, which means we're using a little bit of darker malt, some candy sugar. It's fermented with a, uh, a yeast that will give, hopefully, a lot of really nice kind of peppery and clove in the aroma. And uh, after fermentation, we then, we then transfer it to a, a bottle that can hold a lot of pressure. So we do another fermentation in the bottle for three to four weeks to get the carbonation very high, um, which you may or may not have seen tonight since we're in glasses. But um, So that's Jovial. It's very, very, very small production for us. We're not brewing that much of it. We hope, um, hope to someday kind of increase it and use Jovial as a base beer for our, our Splinter series, which is our wood barrel aged project. So Jovial will then, you know, become smaller, fun projects down the road. And Scott, you can talk a little bit about Old Nebby Stock Ale. There's a good Pittsburgh name for you. Yeah, yeah. The uh, we've we've brewed Old Nebby for a for a couple of years. Um, our our schedule doesn't really fall into like an annual brew cycle. We kind of get to things when we can, but. Um, so Old Nebby is a stock ale, and a stock ale dates back to the time prior to refrigeration when uh, a brewery would produce a high alcohol beer as their stock that they would keep on hand and then brew a fresh beer and blend the two, and that would give them some consistency over the months where they didn't have the ability to, to hold a uh, a beer of lower alcohol for a longer period of time because the beer would spoil. And then after the end of the, the, the warm season, they would reach the, the cool time of year and they would release their stock of ale. So Old Nebby is a stock ale. We skipped all the blending and all the other nonsense. We actually, we actually have refrigeration at the new brewery. Um, uh, so uh, so we, just, we just cut right to the chase and brewed the stock ale. And, and please, can everyone just be a little bit quieter, just so we can hear our esteemed panelists. Thank you very we're, much. We're talking to you, Matt Allen. Yeah. You, I don't, don't want to say his name. <laughs> you, you. Thank you. Zip so, it, buddy. Zip it. So that's course one and course two. Let's do a few more questions. Um, we'll go to some that came from outside. I would add that if any of you have a burning question that you want me to ask, or if you want to ask it yourself, 
you can uh, pass a question up to me on paper. And I think at the last talking session, we'll invite some questions from the audience. You can come up and use the mic you as well. You could even tweet it to Scott if you want, and he's he's ready. I'm I'm not I'm I'm offline right now, dude. So right. I'm going to let right. it go to you. <laughs> um, a question to pick up where we left off last time. We were talking about ingredients, hop shortages, grain shortages, barley. Um, someone on Twitter this evening asked a question: uh, barrels and barristers. Of the four ingredients of beer, which do each of you guys like to experiment with the most? Anyone want to start out? Answer that one. <laughs> or not. Right, or, yeah. I'll or, jump into that. Jump Bob. in the water. That's it's a great question because you know we uh, we begin with four ingredients, plain and simple, and um, you got to love them all. You got to work them all in order to get the results that you're looking for. But uh, I would say with at Victory Brewing Company, we're definitely sort of fermentation fiends. Um, we have over 40 yeast strains uh, available to us, and uh, that's. Uh, Brewers will recognize that's a challenge to keep everything straight and keep everything clean at that point. But in order to create the full range of beers that we have in our heads and in our portfolio, it requires that many yeast strains in order to execute it. So um, we you believe said, that... You said 40? Yes. 4-0. Four 4-0. Zero. Four zero. Good Lord. I, and I said over. I'm being nebulous. Sorry. Wow. Yeah, more, more yeast strains than brewers at the moment. I don't know when that's going to change. But, uh, yeah, you know, fermentation is, um, I would say, it's almost as if you've got so many paints on your palette in order to paint your picture with. And the more paints, uh, the more tubes you can squeeze onto that palette, um, the more vivid your picture is going to be. And so we kind of look at yeast strains as, uh, as a way to achieve that vivid uh, final impression of the beer. And I, I would definitely agree with Bill on a, a lot of those points where um, you, your yeast is alive and, and the dynamics that go on through fermentation from batch to batch can, can change dramatically or subtly depending on you know, what the environment is. Um, I, I think we've probably experimented with um, probably more hop technique than, than anything else, more how we're, we're either adding our hops, how we're utilizing the hop oils, whether it's through our hop back vessel to make it much more aromatic or different dry, happen, dry hopping techniques to get the circulation in the ferment, fermentation tank to try to get the most that we can from uh, the essential oils. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to give a cop-out answer to the which of the four. And so you've got you've to be horsing around with all four of them if you're paying attention. You've got you've to certainly pay attention to your house yeast and your, and your specialty yeast that you're, that you're using. Um, I'm still processing that number of 40. That just blows <laughs> my mind. Um, uh, and and any time I can get a chance... Are we there? Okay. Uh, any time we get some new malt to play with, that's always uh, 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 something, something fun. We've tried... Um, we've we've got four different people that uh, that brew at the brewery, um, in, including myself. Although I don't brew very often, uh, and everybody has their own preferences. So when we're doing a new beer, we're conjuring up a, a new Belgian ale right now because we happen to have uh, a Belgian yeast uh, available to us. Uh, so we do a collaboration on on hey, well this is what we what we brewed last time. Uh, this is what we have a space for in our lineup. 
what malts do you like? What do you want to? What do you? What do you picture this beer is going to be? So that's the that's the wonderful part, the creative process that we we all get to to contribute to. Chris, can you elaborate a little bit on um, hop hop techniques versus hop varieties? And a two-part question. Uh, someone on Brilliant Stream on Twitter really wanted to ask, what new hop varieties do you guys expect to use in 2015 for brewing IPAs? Uh, how many single hops? But before you let that go, can you just elaborate a little bit more on it? It's not necessarily the type of hops. It's right. what you do with them. Uh, tech, technique is in, you know, when you have your hop additions will definitely have an impact on whether it's the, the, the flavor, the, the aromatics, and, and taste. And every brewery does things somewhat similar and somewhat different depending on what they're trying to achieve. And, um, you know, we, we've done, done some things um, to try to enhance the aroma quality and sometimes not the bitterness. And then we've done some things to try to enhance the bitterness but not necessarily the aroma and kind of a natural way of recirculating hops and, and how we how we use them. Is that? Yeah, and and again to speak to this uh, person's specific question: Any new hop varieties? Any of the three of you want to try? Want to get your hands on? Plan to use in this year? Yeah, there's there's always a, a few experimental hop varieties that come out. Often they don't get a name. You just get like a number or a, or a, a designation of a, of a new varietal that's out. Um, yeah, that, that is a difficult uh, part of the answer to this question is that the things that we're experimenting for the coming year haven't been named yet. So yeah. we're working with the research uh, groups that are developing the hops. So they're all numbers at this point. But they want feedback from you on... Exactly. Well, and, and what we accomplish with the hops will be echoed by the, our audience. So it's really the consumer reaction and response to these new hop varieties that are going to drive which ones, you know, make it into full production and which ones don't. This is a question that just came in from someone in the audience, from Artie. I'll start at the far end of the table. But the simple question of, are loggers going to make a comeback? I didn't know they ever left. Did well, they? let's talk about that for a few minutes. It's just Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> so, so, Bob, I kind of missed the question regarding loggers. Just, it came in from the audience, are loggers going to make a comeback? I, I strongly believe that loggers will make a comeback. Um, if you look at craft brewing's renaissance historically, you see that uh, we essentially started producing here in America uh, very hoppy, very strongly flavored, um, riffs off of English ales. And then we very quickly jumped into doing uh, Belgian ales, and then we decided, okay, well that's not enough flavor, so let's go extreme on everything. And um, we've moved through this extreme, and now we're into the nuanced stuff of sours and session beers. So I definitely feel that, you know, lager is just another spoke in the wheel, um, and as that wheel turns, its turn is coming up. So I think that there definitely will be uh, a renaissance of lager beer appreciation in the future. Yeah, I don't ever think it went away for us. I mean, our, our largest selling seasonal is a lager, Sunshine Pills, and then Troganator follows it up pretty quickly. So it's, it, it's very much a large part of what we do at the brewery. Yeah, we've, we've been uh, late, late to the lager game. Uh, generally, the, the 
loggers take a little longer in the tank, so um, and we've been historically pressed for capacity, well, like every brewery, so uh, that generally falls down on our to-do list. So when we do a logger, uh, we usually do something like a smoked logger or, uh, or, or maybe a classic American Pilsner or something like that that's a small one-off batch, but uh, um, something a little quirkier um, than, a, than a straight-ahead logger. Plus, you guys make some spectacular loggers. It's hard to get a get an elbow in uh, into the marketplace. So there's there's plenty of room in the pool, Scott. Jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a, a very telling question from uh, an irrelevant local bartender. Uh, and his Ir important irrelevant. His his question was boxers or briefs, but I don't I don't <laughs> think we'll do that one. We'll go on to something else. Um, Everybody knows that answer, right? Every guy. Is there, you know, it's funny, a, a lot of people, um, people know you guys can talk about your own beers and that you love your own beers, but there, there's, a, there's a whole meme of questions about other people's beers that you might like or don't like. Is, is there anything that any of you guys have had lately brewed by somebody else that you really like and we should seek out as soon as we can find one? Anything really hit your palates as being really excellent? Actually, maybe to, to divert that question a little bit, how many, how many people in this room are uh, brewing professionally? Can you stand up? Wow. Can you stand up? How many people are making beer for a living? So, so I'd say to, uh, to answer your question, um, some of the beer from these guys. Yeah. Uh, and someone's got a party favor out there. <laughs> I'll let anybody in here. Anything that rocked you guys' world lately that we should seek out? It, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the way the market has evolved with, as Scott pointed out, so many brewers, um, I think the experience is really not so much the beer that you covet and the beer that... Um, you want to have all the time it's it's the experience of that beer at that place so the vitality that so many PA brewers have brought to this uh, experience is what I enjoy the most um, getting to enjoy individual tastes and flavors and not necessarily have to attach myself to any one thing mm -hmm. for too long Chris, anything? not the beer that you covet I love that that's that's wonderful well I think we have a time for maybe one more question. I'd like these guys to linger over a little bit and then we'll, we'll move on to our next uh, courses and beers. But it, it occurs to me that when you run any kind of business or you have any kind of career that sometimes it's the, it's the things that surprise you that, that really move you forward a few steps. Sometimes it's the mistakes that you make that turn out to be not mistakes or, or inform you later. I, I wanted to ask you guys if there's sort of a two-part question but was there anything that's been the biggest surprise since you started on your journeys? And in those journeys, was there a mistake that, that figured in, in a, maybe figured into a positive way at the back end? Scott, or whoever wants to take it first, Chris? I think we've all made plenty of mistakes and, um, and definitely have had surprises along the ways. I think, you know, our, our first mistake was the first day I tried to to sell our first keg. And it, it was before we could bottle beer, so it was draft beer. So we had this great idea. We would 
throw a keg in the back of my car and drive around to the local bars and pour it right off. You know, invite them out to the car in the parking lot and have them taste the beer in the parking lot. I was 22 years old, and uh, the first thing they would always ask is, are you even 21? And then to go further, our, our local distributor who we kind of relied on, who'd been in the business for a long time selling big brands, had a great idea of putting our beer in milk jugs, little tiny milk jugs, and then dropping them off at all the local restaurants so they could try it whenever they wanted to. Not thinking that once you open the milk jug, you lose carbonation, so when you try it two or three days later, it's not what the brewer intended. So we, that was definitely our fast learning lesson. Um, trying to look older at that time, and don't put your beer in milk jugs. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you out there. Yeah. Um, surprises for us, I mean, we, we kind of got wrapped up into um, thinking that brewery name, beer style, and uh, it, just, it just didn't click, it didn't work. And, and you know, we, we led with Trogues and then just said pale ale or, you know, nut brown, whatever it was. Whatever it was. And we realized, you know, after a few years that that just wasn't really the spirit of the craft industry. So we tried to think about the beer and then be more creative on how we packaged the beer and how we talked about it. And um, that's when things for us started to click and started to grow. And not try to necessarily stick to a specific style of beer, but just try to think about what we would enjoy and hopefully other people would, would jump on board. And Matt Elf was a, a great inspiration and a great first beer for us to, to lead off with. Bill, anything to throw Yeah, on? Bob, this is a, it's a great question, I think, for all, the, all of our guests and all of our entrepreneurs in the room, because it's truly the mistakes that make you better and make you stronger, um, as embarrassing as they may be when they're occurring. Um, for Ron and I, I would say our biggest mistake has end up, ended up being our our biggest blessing because um, when we sat down and we've charted out a business plan that was going to have us be just a production only brewery we saw that the numbers didn't work and so we said well you know we'll open up a tap room we'll be a restaurant as well how difficult can that be you know we've we've eaten at lots of restaurants it looks really easy um, it's not easy uh, it's it's a challenge every day in the restaurant industry but the beautiful thing is um, we never fell on our faces. Uh, we were always able to correct our behavior and our offerings and um, stay in touch and stay in tune with the audience that was uh, walking in our door and parting with their hard-earned money to enjoy the experience we were offering them. And we learned from each and every one of those contacts. And those contacts became um, the juice, the, the energy that uh, propelled our brand forward in very simple but very meaningful ways. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we looked kind of like idiots when we opened up in February of 1996, uh, but um, at least we looked like honest idiots and people rallied around us. Yeah, I don't I, think I, you've ever made any mistakes, have you, no, Scott? No. I've, I've, no, I've never had any of, any of those. Uh, I, well, we've, I, I could talk about mistakes from long ago or I could talk about mistakes from last week. Um, but the, the, I think the biggest surprise for me going in was that um, when we, and that's back then it was the royal we being just me, um, when, I, when I leased the space in, the, in a dicey neighborhood of Homewood, 
Um, I never expected the public to come to the brewery. I was completely oblivious to the notion that somebody would come and seek out beer in an unmarked building in a, on, a, on a dodgy street in a dicey part of town. Um, so, uh, so the original mistake was to not bother to put a sign on the building. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say we still embrace that same mistake today. Um, <laughs> Uh, but hopefully this year is the is the year of the sign for for East End, so you can actually find. We've us. heard that before, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to take another break. People, move on to the next course. Enjoy your beer. We'll pick up on surprises and growth and some other topics in our next talking session. And then the last one, we do invite more questions from you guys, or if you want to ask a question. Um, we're going to make a chance for people to come up and take the microphone as well. So en enjoy your next courses. Thank you. This is a question from Dave in this audience, and I'll just read it verbatim. If you desire growth and distribution and you are lucky enough to develop high demand, what is your number one piece of business advice? Wow, that was good. Thank you, guys. What's your number one piece of business advice for managing that growth? Anyone want to? Uh, <laughs> Don't want to give I'll, that away. I'll, I'll shoot first um, in terms of business advice. Um, and this is going to sound like a, a conflict because it is at its heart. But um, number one, stick to your guns. And number two, when your guns aren't working, adapt or die. Hmm. Wow. You've got anything? Agree. No, I, yeah. um, I think um, I think we're going through a lot of growth now. You know, for for existing breweries and a lot of new breweries, and it's kind of interesting because when we opened opened up and or had an idea to open up in '96, um, we thought we were at the heels of everybody and that the market was already capped out. And uh, my brother and I were living in Colorado. We love Colorado. Um, he was working for a brewery there for, for a long time. We had a great network of friends of, of breweries there. And, and uh, that was our choice. You know, we, we thought, let's do it in Colorado. But the more we thought about it, we're like, well, they have 86 breweries and 1.5 million people. The next city over is over an eight-hour drive. There's no way that can work. So we came back, back to PA and, and now look at Colorado. You know, they, yeah. they're still explosive, and PA is, is you know, becoming much more. So um, I, don't know, I don't know what the number is. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but, I, I, you know, it feels like we're, we're kind of just getting started, really. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's the, uh, the old Mark Twain quote. At least it's attributed to Mark Twain, but um, I want to die in Pennsylvania because everything happens there 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So I don't know if we're quite 10 years later. We weren't quite as far along in Colo as Colorado uh, when I was living out west. The beer, the beer world was certainly further along than when we moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, but uh, uh, growth is the single biggest challenge that uh, I would say, I would argue that any, any small brewer faces. Um, trying to do it smart, trying to stay true to what you are, and making sure uh, that the beer is first. Uh, if, if you're not making better beer than you were last year, you're doing something wrong. Um, and and uh, it's easy to, to, uh, to, to get caught up in the, the demands of day-to-day -day production because there's a, there's, a, there's a pace and an anxiety that goes with that. Um, 
and I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining, I got the best job in the world, uh, but it's, uh, but it, but it, you have to step back from it from time to time to say, wait a minute, what, what, what am I trying to do here? Um, maybe I, I don't need to be chasing that and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll focus on what I've got uh, here in my hands. Jeff Baer, who is recording this for his podcast on uh, Craft Beer Radio, he had a couple of good questions right on point with this, but this 20% growth by 2020, how do you guys see that shaking out? Is it mostly new small breweries coming online or is it some of the bigger guys growing by that or close to that? How do you, how do you see the next couple of years if that's well, indeed the, well, where that's, it's going? That's the number that the Brewers Association has put out there. Right. And I, and I think that's, a, that's great that they're putting that out there because what that allows uh, uh, us to do and the entire supply chain that's behind us to do is to gear up, uh, to, to, to put additional uh, acreage in for hops, put additional acreage in for malt, everything from cooperage to, to, to tank manufacturers. There's, there's all sorts of shortages to be had in that kind of, a, of an intense growth world. Um, so it's great that that number is out there. Now the question is, will it, will, it, um, will it come to play? Do you guys have thoughts on that? Is that a realistic number? Uh, I think Scott's answer really was as comprehensive as, as it need be. I, it's hard. You know, Chris is the only guy here with a crystal ball because he mentioned that earlier. So he's got, uh, he's got, if, if we can put two. enough beers in him tonight, he's we can. <laughs> if we put enough beers into him, maybe we can see if that's really possible. But I feel that... Um, in terms of attaining this, this rapid development within the craft beer renaissance, um, the, the, the thing that is sort of most important to, to, for me to focus on, at least, is I do believe it has really long legs, Bob, and, and you as food editor should probably uh, either be able to, uh, to, to agree or refute what I'm saying, but when you look at the way America makes its food choices today versus the way we did 20 years ago, there's been a radical transformation. We all have, we prioritize the experience of flavor, and that, you, you're not going to put that genie back in the bottle, nor would anyone w want to. Chris, any thoughts? Yeah. Growth is good. Um, no, I don't. I, I think. Uh, I mean, it's changed a lot for us. You know, over the years. I mean, I, I reflect back. Our first five years, we were trying to grow as hard as we could, and we weren't. And um, now, now we're much more healthy, and we're we're growing. And now we we try to manage that growth to a certain extent by our distribution. You know, how we open up new markets if we're going to, and where we want to see that growth. And we think, you know, for us as being a Pennsylvania brewer, it makes more sense to focus on your backyard and try to keep things you know, as close to home as possible. It's very, um, I think growth is good and we, we definitely want to be pro-growth pro to a certain extent, but it's very expensive to grow. And uh, running a brewery is very capital intensive, as, as most know. It takes a lot to buy stainless steel and, and uh, we've always wanted to be um, privately owned, the two of us, you know, just to be a family-owned brewery. So we're really trying to make uh, logical steps to keep our growth controlled. Just to sort of um, stay in this place for a little bit, there was a great question that came up, and Scott dealt with this a little bit earlier today on Twitter, but uh, Josh Rollerson of the local um, NPR station was reading my story about all these breweries in western Pennsylvania, 35 some breweries, some of, some of whom you'd never heard of before, and he asked, you know, craft brewing's blowing up in southwestern PA, I have to wonder 
at what point does a, a, a boom become a bubble? And Scott was quick to jump on that a little bit. Can we elaborate? I mean, none of the three of you think this is some crazy bubble that's going to burst uh, after we go home tonight, I presume. Yeah, well, there's, there's, some, there's some bubbles here and there, but... Uh, <laughs> good bubbles. Uh, the, good, the good kind of bubbles. Um, that we're, we're only now approaching the number of breweries that we had prior to the time of prohibition in this country. We're almost back to normal after the, the great experiment. So, and, and, if, you, and if, you, if you could look back at, at what was happening in the world of beer making prior to prohibition, it was local brewers, regional flavors, beers in different cities tasted different than beers in other cities because they used what was available to them there. They had the local, whatever was in the local water, whatever the local agriculture could, could support, and it, and it flavored the beer in those regions. Granted, we have modern plumbing and we have trucks that we can move, <laughs> move, uh, move malt across the country and buy hops from the Northwest. Um, so we're not as, as constrained as we were by those ingredients that the, those pre-Prohibition era brewers were. But if you look at the growth in the, in the breweries that are popping up, a lot of them are uh, small producers. And they're not replacing big regional distributors, big regional producers, they're replacing small local corner bars. Uh, so they're providing a local product to a very local audience. So you can, so so in terms of the number of brewers, you can automatically um, okay, plug a large amount of those into into just very localized growth. And then, are there going to be? Is there going to be another Sierra Nevada that's going to going to come out of the woodwork? Is somebody going to emerge and and uh, uh, you know? distribute cross-country with a, with a fantastic product the way that, that Ken Grossman did. Um, I, th I think it's unlikely in today's world. He's, you know, they've, they've got an established brand, and now it's a question of uh, generations and what's going to happen to those brands, like Anchor has, has been handed off now. Uh, so, so there's still plenty of room for growth, and we're, because we're still all, what, what was the number you threw out? Like, at where? 10, 11 percent? Uh, uh, I think it's 11%. 11%. percent. So, so, so you know, we're talking about roughly one out of 10 beers consumed yeah. is, uh, is craft. There's, you, there's plenty of room in that, in that. Either you guys want to riff on that or want to move on? I don't know if there's a magic number. That, that, it's kind of what I was alluding to before. And I think it really just kind of depends on um, the objective of the brewery, and I think you know who they want to be, what they want to be from a from a size standpoint, from a business philosophy standpoint, or what they want to brew, and then it, it ultimately just kind of determines what people, you know, how they see it. You know, is it is it real? Is it authentic? And I think that's kind of what's going to you know drive a lot of it. I do worry about a lot of new startup breweries starting huge which huge volume expectations, you know, because we know what it's like to start up. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you have to go out and hit, hit every account, do tastings every night three or four times and get people to want to try your beer and not just listen to an ad campaign. If I, if I could pick up sort of um, on a portion of your question, Bob, regarding is the growth going to come from the smallest guys or is the growth going to come from the biggest guys? I think 
The answer is it's going to be a mix, but I think it's actually going to be the smallest breweries that are doing the yeoman's work here because um, part of craft beer success has been the conversion. Somebody who used to be happy with a light American lager who suddenly discovers the joy of a hoppy pale ale. You know, that's the conversion. And we've all been through it. That's why we're in this room tonight. <laughs> but uh, where, what I'm getting at with that is that everybody who pours their blood, sweat, and tears into opening up a new operation has nieces, nephews, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, and family that uh, admire exactly what they're doing, as crazy as it may be. And that person may put down their American light lager and drink that beer that that family member has poured their heart and soul in, and there's a convert right there. And when you multiply that, that's the future. That's how we take this thing over. Well, let's, on that note, let's take another pause. There's some more food coming out, some more beer. Let's do that. We'll come back to a, we'll come back relatively quickly and let's try to, we'll have some audience members ask some of the questions that they have and uh, we'll bring it home next session. Thank you. Hope you guys are enjoying course number four. I know I did a lot. And in fact, I'm going to try to finish it while Chris describes the beer that you have with that. So take it over, Chris. So we're just uh, thinning perpetual IPA for us, which is very symbolic of, um, I think, our brewery. And uh, we've always kind of felt like we've been kind of in, in construction phase or in motion for, for many, many years. And when we, we, when we transitioned from our original brewery in Harrisburg over to Hershey, uh, that kind of gave us the, the, the time to kind of reset, rewind, kind of rethink our whole process and uh, come out with not an IPA, but an imperial pale ale. And um, I think that's, that kind of speaks to our malt base. The beer 7.5% ABV. It definitely has a touch of sweetness. And, uh, of course, it's run through our hop back and then, and then also dry hopped with some very citrusy hops. And I think this beer pairs very nicely with. Indeed, it does. That, that's what you want to hear. Thank you, Chris. I, I, I'll stop there. Yeah. Um, because I'm the moderator, I figure I should get to a ask one question of my own, which I want to do next. And then I'm going to turn it over to the floor. Some people who uh, either expressed interest in asking a question themselves or brought a question up, if I haven't asked it in this next segment, then please we'll take turns coming up and we can go over those. Um, we, we started to get towards sort of the growth and with the big growth of this industry, I've always found it interesting. This industry is amazing in the sense that um, over the years I've marveled at the fact that there would be a hop shortage and a very large brewer would share hops with little brewers that were competing with them and they didn't even know. I marvel at the fact that this morning I started out at Voodoo Brewery's new facility yeah. in Homestead, which is in, which is in about the crappiest building that you can imagine, and 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 crappier than our old place, even really? worse than Scott's original place. Wow. It, it makes Scott's original wow. place look That's like a crappy. Yeah. That's really but, crappy. But. <laughs> A lot, a lot of the work was done by volunteers who didn't come out just to like sweep or paint. 
they were like filling dumpsters with stuff. So we'll hear from Matt Allen later in the program. I wanted to ask these guys, it's 2015, another year of double-digit growth, more double-digit growth. I go to the beer distributor on my way home or tomorrow, and I can pick between each of their three beers. Are you guys colleagues or are you competitors? And whoever wants to start can... can who? I'll jump into this uh, probably by virtue of the fact that I'm president currently of the Brewers of Pennsylvania Trade Association. And oldest, so, and oldest member and, of the panel. And oldest, yes, yes. <laughs> Touch of gray works really well. Um, at any rate, you know, I, to answer that question for you, Bob, um, you can never underestimate or, or never overlook the value of unity. Um, you can never make an assumption that everyone's on the same page, especially when everyone's got different business models, um, potentially even different objectives. So the purpose of our organization, Brewers of Pennsylvania, is really just a sounding board to, uh, to keep the herd in contact with one another and share the best ideas, share the best practices, advise one another, and shepherd everybody to the best possible outcome whether it's through legislative means or whether it's just through advice or whether it's just through buying one another a beer. So I think that there's a lot of aspects to what we do as an organization that says that we're colleagues. But your point is that we all sit there on the shelf and a consumer can't walk home with every single beer on the shelf. Well, maybe, maybe they can. They should. They should. They should. You should do that. <laughs> Chris, anything to add to that? Um, if craft beer is only 10% of beer being consumed, I think there, there's really only one direction that the segment should go in. And uh, that means a lot of great things for all of us brewers, bigger, small, craft brewers. Well, with that, I want to turn it over to the floor. There's a, a David Plasenik has a question. Would you like to ask it yourself, David? Please come up if you do. I'd rather you do it than me. All right, this question actually comes from me and my uh, girlfriend here. Uh, okay, there are 22 breweries in the Pittsburgh area alone, um, more than 22 breweries in the Pittsburgh area alone. And Sam Calgon of Dogfish Head said it's going to get more competitive and uh, right now, we actually have Lagunitas suing Sierra Nevada over an IPA logo. Do you think this sort of thing will become more common as we go forward with people competing and going head-to-head -head on things like logos and, and the other you know, back and forth between breweries? I'll jump into that if I might. That's, that's a very, very good question. I feel that the creativity that is possible in terms of liquids, um, all of the different beer flavors that we can create that won't be derivative of one another is, is really limitless, um, yet there's only so many words in the English language. So collision from an intellectual property uh, standpoint is, is bound to happen. It's just a matter of being uh, intelligent and respectful of uh, sorting that stuff out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the comparison to the occasional uh, fender bender on the highway is a uh, is a great one. Um, 
but but if we if we were run out of words, we can always just make up new ones. That's not not the first time that's happened in the industry. So. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of questions about collaboration, and um, now we've got a question from Matt Allen, who is in Thanks, this industry, and uh, I think he's going to pick up on that thread. Matt? Uh, so basically, my question <laughs> is, is, as a consumer, um, we try to be uh, comrades in arms on craft beer, but at the same time, we also have to understand that we, uh, Victory and Trogues and East End, have to protect our brands. So is there an issue, as you as a consumer, if we were to f actually fight for the capacity for the trademark for our brand, does that hamper us as an individual brewery and a branding company that's trying to make a stance? It, it, I mean, do you, do, you, do you think if we were to uh, halt somebody on any kind of brand impedance on what we're trying to do because I know Trogus has had some issues in the past as well as Victory and myself um, so when it gets out to the market is it going to hamper us as far as a, a, a producer and you think that we would be lesser of a person to challenge somebody because we build a lot of money put a lot of time into our brand is that going to hurt us so that's my question. So, so like if somebody else comes out and I say I want to brew a, uh, a voo-boo beer instead of a voodoo beer. Yeah. Hey, Bob, if I could just real quick. If anybody has a green Honda and it's parked in front of a garage door, if you like your car, you might want to go outside. It's FLD 3129PA tags. Yeah, you know who you are. Bingo. Matt, you're right. Do, does anyone else have a question that they would like to come up and ask of the panel themselves right now? Please do. Please do. And Matt, I know you've, I think you've got another question, so if we have time, we can get to that other one as well. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, state, so we recently state, said, state your name and your I'm, affiliation, please. Okay. I'm Kyle Brannigan of Milkman Brewing uh, down in the Strip. Hello, Pittsburgh. Uh, so the question I would ask of the breweries that are more developed into this market uh, that we have previously said is about 10% saturated with craft beer. At what point? At what point are we going to hit saturation on craft beer? Is it going to be 100% where we no longer have Budweiser, Miller, or Coors? Is it going to be 50% where we make up 50% of the market? Uh, and when do you think that'll happen? I just dropped my crystal ball. So I, I can't answer that one. Well, now that we don't have Chris, uh, Chris's crystal ball, we're, we're really up the creek. But... Um, I would say... <laughs> the metaphors are flying. I would say we are going to achieve the destiny we deserve as brewers, meaning that if, if we put quality and we put creativity into what we do, 100% um, sounds unreasonable, but 
we don't have a crystal ball anymore, so you know we're off the map at this point. So uh, it's up to us to determine our own destiny because the consumers keep saying more creativity, more quality, keep it coming. Yeah, I, it'll it'll certainly find its own level uh, at a at a point, just like just like it does in the in the food world, uh, because after all, beer is food. It's just food in a glass, but. Um, as the local, the local food scene continues to grow, I can see the, the, the local beer scene continuing to evolve and, and, and explode. Well, if we have no other questions from the audience, maybe we might have one here. Quick, get one in here. Hey, uh, Joe McAllister, uh, uh, Project in Progress. But uh, my question is about the, the big boys' involvement or uh, forays into the craft brewing uh, by acquisition or otherwise. What are your thoughts on that and what are the implications going forward? I can't say we're happy about it, but it's, it, it, it's also kind of expected just by the nature of the growth. Um, I can't imagine that too many people would want to sit on the sidelines. You know, what that means for us, I mean, we, we, we're hopeful that eventually um, people will kind of look through and think about what their purchases are, where they're buying from, who the brewers are, where it's coming from, what the philosophies are, and, and kind of see through maybe some of the smoke and mirrors. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's over. I think they're going to continue to buy. If we get to 20%, if we get to 30, 40, 50, whatever that might be, they don't want to be left out. So I think, um, I think it's going to continue. And we're just going to have to make sure that we're relevant and hopefully authentic and, and real. And I think that's what's going to make us small, independent guys successful. I, I think Chris's answer is absolutely perfect. You know, we, we can't control what we can't control. Um, if I could offer something hopeful and optimistic, um, maybe the effect that craft brewing is going to have is going to be a change from within. If the largest industrial brewers aren't experiencing the growth that craft brewers are, maybe through acquisition or through evolution, they'll adopt what we're doing. So I know that sounds far-fetched, but I guess I probably wouldn't be a business owner if I didn't have some crazy notions. Okay. Uh, the, I, I saw a, uh, uh, a, a number um, a couple of weeks ago that uh, craft beer has now exceeded the sales of Budweiser in the, in the U.S., so domestic sales, of, and that's not, that's not Bush, that's not Bud Light, that's just the Budweiser brand. Yeah. Uh, so so the, 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 the big guys are certainly feeling the pain, and they're doing, doing everything they can to, to, uh, to pretend to be small, to produce all these smaller brands. Uh, so all, my advice to you is just don't buy beer from strangers. <laughs> Talk to your local brewer, talk to your local beer maker, talk to your local, local bartender, understand where your beer is coming from. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, really incredibly deceptive uh, 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 work being out there on the big guys. So. <laughs> well, at this point, I think we're about ready for one last bite. We will end on the words of more creativity and more quality. Answer, Keep it coming. Absolutely. 
We're going to do our dessert and a, a beer from Scott. Scott, can you tell us a little bit about the beer that we're going to close out with? Uh, I, and before you do, sure, though, sure. Uh, I'm reminded that you're, you're allowed to take, when you go, and there's no rush because there's also an after party that you're most welcome to come to, please take the Trogues glass and the Victory glass with you because those you can take with you. If you take the silverware and stuff, that's not authorized, but that's, that's something so, so else. But, but so do take the two glasses, and Scott's going to talk about the beer that is going to go with your dessert course. All right. So, so I, can't, I can't take the crystal goblet with Well, it. I mean, you can, but you're not supposed to. All right, yeah. all right. Um, so, uh, so I guess finishing out here is our, uh, our Homewood Reserve. Um, the, the name Homewood Reserve is a nod to our, our roots about a mile from our current location in our humble little neighborhood of Homewood. Uh, and the picture on your menu is um, like at least two iterations old of what that beer used to look like uh, in terms of packaging back when we packaged it in a one liter swing top. It might make a nice sign. Might make a nice what? Might make a nice sign. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Homewood Reserve uh, is our blackstrap stout, our year-round stout that we brew with uh, blackstrap molasses and brown sugar, and we age that in a bourbon barrel. Uh, this year, we really ramped up our barrel aging program. Uh, rather than just having one bourbon barrel sitting precariously on a pallet with a couple of boards ripped out so that it didn't roll out of the room, uh, we actually have a wall of, uh, of, of barrels um, uh, I think we've got about 40, 40 barrels going actively right now with uh, three or four different kinds of beer in it. So uh, Homewood Reserve spent about eight months uh, in oak with bourbon, so you'll get a little bit of boozy notes, uh, which should hopefully go well with your dessert. Thanks, and we'll, I guess we'll see you at the, uh, the post party. Yeah, and what we'll do is, Artie, if you can leave our mics on, we'll get dessert served. Everyone enjoy your Homewood Reserve. But if someone has a burning question to ask and you don't mind asking it while everyone's eating dessert, we can take another question or two, too. So right. thank you. Thanks, everyone. Hey, guys, we have a couple questions, if you don't mind taking a few, just sort of while we're in the transition here. Um, one of our audience members is raising the issue of the six-pack, the, the changing laws that, that might get a six-pack into a sheet store, for instance, and next to the pack of Budweiser and Bud Light and everything else. Uh, this audience member wonders what you guys might think about how that would change things for you. And... Um, Another audience member wants to know, would love to hear from you about how big each of you guys wants to be, getting back to the growth question. So I'll just throw those out for you to pick up on any or any piece of those that you might right. want to talk about while we wait for dessert. All right. You want to jump in or? Uh... You got the mic, man. No. We, we all have the mic. All right, so, so the question was around uh, six-pack sales and what that does to, uh, to the small brewer. Um, for, a, for a guy like me that, is, uh, that's, that we're draft only, um, we, we kind of just watch that ship sail away and wave from the dock <laughs> as, uh, as the six-pack sales happen at the, at the sheets or the, or the get-goes or whoever's getting into it. Um, at least until we can get some big hop into cans, but we're at least a month away from that. I think that, um, you know, Pennsylvania actually has, by the numbers, 
an incredibly diverse selection of beer. So the system that we're working with right now in terms of uh, beer retail is by no means broken. Um, we've got great access to beers from all over the world. Uh, do we need beers to be more convenient? Maybe so. Um, but if that's going to happen, let's make sure that all beers are made convenient. Um, we'd hate to see a retail environment where only the largest players really control that environment. So it's a, it's a tough needle to thread. I want to get in the, the other audience member gets back into our growth thread, and this is going to be a little bit more Wild West because we're waiting for dessert, but back to how big do you guys want to be? You're the biggest down on the far end, and you show up in the top 50, about halfway down. Chris is down from there. Scott's down from there. Any thoughts on how big you guys want to be? It's never really been about size, right? It's, it's what you brew with it? <laughs> well, that, that is absolutely true in craft brewing. It's, it's not size, it's quality. So, um, and that is always going to be the focus, I believe, because if, uh, if your focus isn't on quality, you'll never achieve the size. So. We want, to see, we want to see growth every year. I mean, I think that's, that's optimistic of every business, but we're also trying to see how we can be smaller as well and more flexible as brewers, and I think that's what's made a lot of us uh, unique. Can you elaborate on that? That's an interesting way to look at it because all the questions are about growth and double digits. You're thinking about ways to be smaller too. Talk about that a little bit. That's interesting. Well, I, I, I think, you know, from, from a brewer's perspective, I mean, it's, you think about ingredients, you think about process, my beer looks like this, it tastes like this, here's what I envision it, but then it's also how you package it, what, you know, whether it's in a bottle, whether it's in a can, whether it's in a Cajun cork, you know, what's the best way to represent what I'm trying to do from a creativity standpoint, and sometimes your economies of scale can work against you, you know, from, from a creativity standpoint, so... Um, the dollars are high, the volume is low, but we still just kind of justify it. And I think that's what keeps it interesting for, for all of us little guys, which is really what we are. Well, speaking, speaking as, a, as a little guy, I, I actually I'm surprised that the first question that came out wasn't uh, how, did, how, did, how did Scott land a spot on the podium next to, next to these two guys? That was the, uh, the funda fundamental question I had in my mind when I got the email. But, um, but, but in terms of what, what's too big for us, you know, we're, we don't need to take over the world. We just need to, I just wanted to make some beer um, and, and thought it would be a, 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 a cool idea to do it. So we may... We may ship beer into other parts of the state at some point, but I really don't see us growing outside of the state of Pennsylvania. I like the amount of interaction I have with our beer at this size that we are now. Uh, I really don't want to move the brewery ever again. <laughs> it's not a, not a, <laughs> not a, not a, they're going to carry me out in a box uh, before, uh, before we pack it up and move it out. Um, so, 
yeah, there is a there is a a, a big that's big enough, at least in my view of the world. Um, but uh, I'd rather I'd rather grow grow inside, uh, grow <laughs> grow quality, grow grow internally, and and understand uh, what we can do to to stay out in front of your tastes to make sure that. Uh, we're bringing you the next thing that you're going to be excited about before hopefully you even know about it. Hey, Bob. Yeah. That's very well stated, by the way, Scott. I think growing internally is what we all endeavor to do to begin with in order to make these beers. Um, if, I could, if I could add one more thing to it, because it seems like this audience is very much interested in the subject of growth and, and potential. I think that the word is not necessarily growth. The word is ambition. What are your ambitions? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And um, Ron and I have confronted those because literally Victory Brewing Company was two guys. Um, and now it's, you know, 270 people. So along the way, what you recognize is that the energy, you can only put so much energy in and achieve so much results. So your ambitions always outstrip your capabilities. But by surrounding yourself with incredibly talented and dedicated people, you can amplify those energies. And once you do so, you can't let those people down. You gotta continue to feed that growth because that's their future as well. So I often refer to Victory as the train that makes no stops. Sometimes it slows down, I look out the window and say, hey, that looks nice out there, and then we hit the gas again and we're gone. So um, it's a lot of it has to do with the people um, that support the incredible product. Well, and I think that's very well said. And I think as we wrap things up, I see dessert is getting out there. The, um, you know, when you ask somebody like me why you want to cover craft beer, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, like a certified beer geek. I don't do the business of beer. I don't do the food of beer. I think I've always focused on the people of beer. Since the beginning of sort of the craft beer movement, I've always been mesmerized by these guys, like these three guys to my left, or the, or the women that are also in the craft brewing industry. And it's fascinating. It's always about mistakes and hops and barley crops and surprises and growth beyond what you ever could imagine five years ago or ten years ago. So it's not, in a way, it's not even about beer. It always gets down to the people. And so I'm very pleased to have been able to sit up with these three people on this panel who have been very great. A round of applause for them, please. And, you know, I thought, I thought it was very interesting that Scott identified so many other people in the industry in our audience. A round of applause to them. We enjoy your work as well. We would have fit more up here if we could have. But, you know, when you talk about beer people, and this is certainly true for me, it's also you people. It's you people that buy the beer, talk about the beer, post about the beer, tweet about the beer, and the really crazy ones who agree to bottle beer for free or to fill dumpsters at a brewery in an old fire station. Here's to you, and thank you for coming to Meeting of the Malls. Good night. More information about the Brewers of Pennsylvania is available at their website, brewersofpa.org. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. You can visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. If you would like to email us, use beer at craftbeerradio.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at craftbeerradio.